Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I'll set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring him the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants over and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes come home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Aiden and Naomi, thank you so much. I really appreciate you guys reading uh, the word for us today. And it is so good to have all of you kids in the room. Kids, are you there? Give me a whoop whoop. A little louder, kids. 
Okay, you're there. All right. <laughs> That's good. Um, and I just, I am just delighted you guys are all here in the room. I'm really, I want to welcome you if you're new to Jesus. Uh, you're on a journey exploring more about God. You have come on the right number of weeks. I hope you'll come back in the next couple weeks because we're studying one of the most famous stories that Jesus ever taught. And we're going to take three weeks to learn all about it. And I'll say more about that in a second, but I'm really glad you're here if you are new to Jesus. And um, what I want to do is I want to pray. As we dive into God's word, we have been going through the book of Luke, which is the life and teachings of Jesus. Um, and we're just going week by week, and we're just trying to discover throughout the summer more and more about the life and the teachings of Jesus. But before we pray, I want to let you know we have lost a dear member of our church community, um, and her name is Louise Thiessen. And some of you know Louise and her husband, Paul. Um, Louise and Paul have been at our church for a number of years. They were, at, for, many, for decades, they were a part of Willingdon Church in Burnaby. Um, but they are uh, Rob and uh, Rob's parents, uh, Rob Thiessen's parents. And um, so some of you know Rob Thiessen. He was our senior pastor here for 17 years. Um, and his wife Janet is on our team right now as our executive pastor, so this was her mother-in-law. And so you can be, be praying for the entire Thiessen family as they've lost Louise, and Louise loved Jesus a lot. And if you'd like to hear more about her story, uh, you can come to her celebration of life, which is July 10th, so it's not tomorrow Monday, but it's the following Monday, and at 1 p.m. right here in, in this room. Uh, I would encourage you to come and to support the Thiessen family and to hear uh, a, a story of a woman who was faithful to Jesus, loved Jesus her whole life. Um, it's so encouraging. And I know right now, just we were singing that song with a thousand hallelujahs, um, we, we, we praise your name. And I just uh, imagine Louise Thiessen right now, uh, face to face with her Savior, joining the angelic chorus in the heavens, singing hallelujah. And uh, what a gift that she sees her savior face to face. So what we wanna do is we wanna pray and dedicate this time that you and I would, be, uh, would see, experience, and come to know the love of God for each of us here in this place. So would you pray with me? Lord God, as we, as we listen to this parable that you told, um, God, we are coming in desperate need to know that we're loved, that you are searching for us, that your heart is for us. And God, we would ask that in the coming minutes, you would open up your scriptures to us, that Jesus, we would hear your truth clearly, plainly, and that we would, we would come to know your heart, God. Lord, we lift up the Thiessen family and we pray for comfort for all of them, for the kids, the grandkids, the great-grandchildren Louise had, and Lord God, we pray um, that like Louise, that you would allow us to be faithful to the very end, um, that we would love you for the rest of our days, and that one day we too would be able to see you face to face. We thank you, we give this time to you. God, I thank you that the kids are with us. Lord, bless them, open their ears that they would hear the good news of your love for them. We thank you for our friends from Kalima. We pray that you would bless them and give them just such joy as they serve. Lord, fill them with your spirit. And may they, they too go back to Mexico in a few days knowing how deeply loved they are. We thank you. Amen. All right, everybody. So as we dive in, we are in the parable of the prodigal son in Luke 15. The parable of the prodigal son. Now, some of you might be wondering what a parable is. A parable is simply a short story. 
uh, that Jesus would tell to illustrate a deep truth about God. That's a parable. And so it's the parable of the prodigal son. What's a prodigal? We don't use that word often. Well, a prodigal is someone who spends all they have in an extravagant or reckless way. Some of you might be hearkening back to your teenage years where you thought, uh, maybe you would go ahead and spend all the cash that your parents gave you um, uh, or, you know, lavishly spent a whole bunch of money that your grandparents gave you or whatever. And uh, so this is someone who spends all they have in an extravagant and reckless way. So more on that a little bit later. So we're in this story that Jesus is, is teaching. And for those of you who know the story, let me tell you this. Today we're taking three weeks to work through the story of the prodigal son. And this week, we're gonna look at the heart of the father. Next week, we'll look at the older son, but we're only doing that in the 9 a.m. So if you wanna kind of track with the series, come to the 9 a.m. The 11 a.m. is gonna be Camp Sunday. As you heard Angela mention a moment ago, it's gonna be wild. And so uh, you choose your own adventure next Sunday, what you would like to be part of, but the services will be very different between the nine and the 11. So, uh, but if you do come to the 11, enjoy a whole bunch of kids dancing and hearing the camp theme, it'll be great. But uh, yeah, the 9 a.m., we'll, we'll look at the older son. And then uh, the following week, we'll, we'll end our three-week series uh, on the younger son. And so we're kind of in a three-week mini-series within a series. So if you've seen the movie Inception, A Dream Within a Dream, this is like a series within a series. And, uh, and I want to give you a little recap of where we're at so far from the book of Luke. Jesus has been on a mission to welcome all kinds of people to know God's love again. All kinds of people are hanging out with Jesus, and it was troubling to some because Jesus was pulling together a pretty ragtag group of individuals uh, who most people would assume God would not love. Uh, And yet Jesus had a heart for them, the marginalized, uh, uh, those who had leprosy, uh, those who were tax collectors. You're like, tax, you know, what's the deal with tax collectors? Um, All of you who work for CRA, you could take this personally. But, um, But tax collectors were seen at the time as being traitors because they worked for the Roman Empire. And so, uh, so Jesus was hanging around tax collectors. And not only was Jesus hanging around sinners, tax collectors, the poor, the marginalized, he was actually eating with them. And now to eat with them was to, not only to show, hey, this is my friend, but to receive them, to welcome them uh, in a way where, where you're, you're, you are saying that this person is loved by God. And there were religious people who were like, that's not true, is it? Are these people truly loved by God? And so we read in the first couple sentences uh, the following. Let's look at verses one and two. It says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So notice these religious people, the Pharisees and teachers of the law, just do not like the crew that Jesus is hanging out with. They do not like this group. They don't like the people Jesus is loving. And so Jesus is like, story time. (laughs) Time for you guys to hear three parables, three stories. Three short stories. And I believe when you and I, North Langley, when you and I read these stories and come to understand these stories, I believe it will challenge how we understand who God is. It will challenge how we view God. These three short stories Jesus tells will alter, reform, change how we view God. 
And kids in the room, I'm so glad you're here. There are a couple moments where I wanna address you specifically in this sermon, but I want each of you kids to know uh, how much God loves you, how much he cares deeply that you know that, that you know, kids, how loved you are by God. And so Jesus tells three stories to illustrate this. A.W. Tozer once wrote, quote, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. When I talk about God, what comes to your mind? Do you think of a floating grandpa with a white beard where cherubim with harps are just kind of floating around this old grandpa, right? Is that what you think about when you think about God? Or on a more serious note, do you think of someone who is unfair, distant, no longer cares? I think there's a group of us here today that would feel that when we think about God. He's distant. He's unfair. When you think about God, is God an absentee father? Or is God a moral monster? Or is God waiting around the corner to punish me? Or is God simply a figment of my imagination? Or, or, when you and I think about God, do we think of the Father, the Father of Jesus of Nazareth? Or, when you and I think about God, do we think of the Father that Jesus shows us in the parable of the prodigal son? I hope that in the next several weeks on this journey, that when you think about God, that you will think about the father of the prodigal son. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. It changes how we live. Okay, so as we begin here, let me, let me, let me ask, when was the last time that you lost something? When was the last time? And all of a sudden, everyone's just holding onto rings, finding their phone, grabbing keys. Yes, okay, I've got them all here. Yeah, right. Uh, when was the last time you lost something? And did you get it back? Did you get it back? Um, what did that feel like when you lost that thing? I know some of you are just turning to each other, giving knowing glances of that story. That story that, you're, that you know, or your family knows, your friends know. That one time, what did you feel? I think you felt some, some anxiety, right? And there was this sense in which things were in suspense until you found that thing. Well, the other night, our family lost our cat. Uh, our cat's name is Sparky. And uh, this is Sparky. And Sparky is deeply loved by our kids and by my wife. And for me, it's been a journey. Uh, <laughs> Uh, my, my, so Sparky's only like six months old right now, so we've had him only for like a few months. And, um, you know, and uh, let's just, I'll summarize, my wonderful children are here, and I'll summarize my feelings towards the cat by saying, uh, I may have in theory uh, loved the cat, but practically I did not. And uh, most of my interactions with the cat was accidentally like kicking it across the room because I didn't know where I was walking and he would go flying. And, uh, and so this was my interaction with the cat. And the cat always wanted to snuggle with me, which I always found 
peculiar because uh, I was not giving much love. But that kind of changed one night uh, when the cat went missing. And the kids were already in bed. And so Tanya and I were like, where's the cat? And, uh, you know, cats can hide in, like, the most crazy places in your house. And so we looked around and, like, opening, like, drawers <laughs> and closets. No cat, no Sparky. And the kids are asleep, and we're like, okay, we've got, like, we got, like, what, 10 hours to find this cat. Uh, this is going to be an all-night affair. Let's do this. And so I'm walking around, not dark, uh, in our neighborhood, and Sparky has this little thing that I— you know, uh, it's a little toy. And so I'm just like, hey, Sparky, Sparky, Sparky. And um, uh, probably looked, you know, creepy me going around at night uh, in kind of like looking around. But we've got these two raccoons, um, these two raccoons. And uh, are we allowed to get rid of raccoons? I know the kids are here. Is this allowed? Some, someone talked to me later, the bylaws of Langley. Uh, just, I'm not sure what we're allowed to do. These two guys, man, they've got their act down. They know exactly where all the food is. They, it's their territory. And so I'm like, Sparky is, has found its way to the raccoons. And uh, I, we got to, you know, this is what's going through my mind. And so just a few hours go by, no Sparky. And then, um, and then I'm like, okay, finally. And all I did right before I went to bed, I was like, okay, fine. I'm just going to go to bed. We're going to have to tell the kids we've lost Sparky in the morning. And then I look out my front window and there is Sparky just standing there staring right at me on our front deck. And I'm like, Whew, Sparky. And I come and I embrace Sparky as I've never embraced Sparky before. And I hold and I cuddle and I nurture. And, and uh, you know, um, and it's just like, I, it, you're home. You're home. You know, you're home. And just like, did the raccoons get you? No. Okay. And so he's home, right? And this feeling I had of this anxiousness, right? This, this, this feeling of going, uh, uh, it, things are not resolved until, until you're home, right? Now this feeling, this feeling is what Jesus gets us to feel. And, and, he, and he, he bring, he's going to talk about some sheep. He's going to talk about a coin. He's going to talk about two sons. And, and that emotion, that kind of anxiousness, uh, if I could say it that way, is what we're supposed to feel. And it's what we're supposed to learn that this is how God feels about you when you're lost. That, that feeling, that emotion that you have felt when you've lost something, this is exactly what God feels. Do you believe that? Do you believe that this is the emotion that God has in order to find you, to love you, to bring you in, to hold you? So Jesus is going to talk to these religious leaders, and I want you to hear what he has to say. What is God like? What's God like? Well, listen to Jesus. He says, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and he goes home and then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Now, really quick, there's a little bit of a side thing. At the very end, it says righteous persons who do, do not need to repent. Most theologians say you should put that in quotes, right? Because G when we understand the New Testament, understand Jesus's heart, all of us need to repent. All of us need to turn. Right. But there's a group of people who think that they are so, they're so self-righteous, they don't need to repent. Right. And so they're not, 
They don't even know they're lost. But Jesus is describing the heart of the Father. So what is God like? God is like a shepherd. God's like a shepherd. And the shepherd loses one sheep out of a hundred and notices that. And you say, well, he's got 99. No, he's counting. He's counting. He knows he has a hundred sheep and he's lost one. And he notices when you aren't around. And he notices when you're distant. And he notices when you've turned away into the open country. He knows, he knows every sheep that is his. And he looks until he finds you. He goes out into the open country looking, searching. And he looks until he finds you. And like the, like the shepherd, Jesus puts us on his shoulders and walks us back to safety. Imagine a sheep over the shoulders of the shepherd coming home, coming back to the fold. And then the shepherd puts on a party and God puts on a party and to celebrate because you're back. You're back. You wandered away, but you're home. You're safe. What is God like? Jesus continues. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. What is God like? God is like a woman, says Jesus. A woman who's at home. She's in her home and she loses one of her 10 silver coins. And it's precious to her. So what does she do? Well, of course, she turns on all the lights. And of course, she sweeps every dusty corner. And of course, she'll look throughout the night until she finds the coin. Of course, she would do that. This is what God is like. God lost someone of great value to him. And he will search every dusty corner of this old world to find you. God kept shining a light in the darkness of our world in order to find you. And then God puts on a party because you were lost and now you're found. And so, of course, the angels throw a party. Do you see what Jesus is doing? He's drawing you and I to those moments, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and we feel the feeling of the shepherd and the woman at home. We feel that. And we go, we're not gonna stop looking until we found you. <laughs> little sheep, little coin. We're not gonna stop, we're not gonna stop. And we will go into the far country, we'll turn on every light, we'll sweep every dusty corner because we're coming to find you. And Jesus says right there, that's what God's like. You want to know what God's like? That's what God's like. And Jesus says, you see all these people I'm meeting with? You see all these people on the edge, on the margin? God has been coming, pursuing, loving them, drawing them to himself. What is God like? Well, Jesus says, I've got another story. I've got a third story for you. And it's about a father with two sons. We always think this story is about one son. If you've grown up in the church, we think it's about one. It's about two. The father has two lost sons. And they're lost in very different ways. 
And again, a deep dive on the older son will be next week at the 9 a.m. and a deep dive into the younger son will be in two weeks. So there's so much more to say. But what I want you to see today is the disposition of the father towards his boys. Now the younger son. The younger son is lost because he physically ran away from his father. What did he do? Well, he was rebellious. And he said, Dad, I'll take all my inheritance money now. Which is not a good thing because in that culture, you receive the inheritance in similar ways to today. But when the parent dies. So the son is saying, you're dead to me. I'll take it all now. I'll take it today. Deeply disrespectful. And so he leaves. He leaves town. He heads off to another country, a faraway land. He parties hard. He wastes it all. And that's why he's a prodigal, right? Because he is someone who spent all they have in this extravagant and reckless way. But a famine hits, which is not good news. And he's lost his money and a famine hits. And then he, the only job he can find is with pigs. And this is, you know, for us, we're like, oh, pig farmer, that's great. You know, but for a Jew, the pig was considered an unclean animal, right? And so the only job this Jewish person can find is with pigs. And not only that, not only that, but a Jew would not be allowed to eat pork, right? Uh, no, no pork, no bacon, you can't eat the pig. And what does the younger son want to do? He's, he, he has hit such a low that he wants to eat the food that the pigs are eating. Not just a pig, he wants to eat the food the pigs are eating. And this is, a, this is, a, this is Jesus describing the lowest point in this, this young guy's life. And so he comes to his senses and he goes, well, here's the deal. Here's what I'm going to do. I, I'm, there's no way that my dad is going to take me back as one of his kids. There's just no way. I've already kind of said, you're dead to me and I'm gone. But you know what I could do is I could go back as a servant. I could go back as a servant. And I bet you he'd take me back if I said, I'll come back and I'll try to repay. I'll work the rest of my life and try to pay this off, dad. I owe you big time. I'll just be a servant. I'm not here to be a son. I'll come back as a servant. So, you know, he, he kind of form, puts together this, this apology statement. He's kind of running it through his mind. And uh, the younger rebellious son starts to make his way back home. But here's what the father does. Verse 20. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. All of you who've been Christians for a while, uh, could you hear it as though you're hearing it for the first time? The danger for many of us as Christians is that we come to the prodigal son story and go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, just hear it again. And we'll go deep in a couple weeks on the younger son, but hear this again. The father has been waiting. The father has been looking on the horizon for some little kick up of dust to see, is that my boy? Is that him? So already Jesus is describing the posture of the father is one that is scanning the horizon, right? Looking. And then he sees his son. He sees you. <laughs> sees you coming. And the father then is filled with compassion. And some of you know that word compassion is one of my favorite Greek words. It's splegnizomai. 
Can you guys say that to your neighbors? Splegnizomai. Use it at your next gathering, family gathering or friendship. Splegnizomai. What does it mean? It's the churning of your bowels. How do you like that? It's this gurgling. It's this thing. It's like when you guys say like, I feel it in my gut. That's what it is. I feel it in my gut. I feel it. It's not just head. It's just like whole body. It's just this feeling, this, you know, and, and, and this love or this anxiousness or this just whatever it is. It's just this thing happening. And this, this is what the father feels. He begin everything inside of him starts to turn and churn and just go, is this my boy? Is he back? Is this actually him? And I'm seeing just a tiny speck, but is this actually him? And he's been waiting and he's looking and he's watching. And what does he do? He starts running and you'll hear more about this later, but men wouldn't run in a Middle Eastern culture, exposing the legs. This is shameful behavior for a father, but the father bolts it towards his son and he runs and he sees him. And what is it? It says he throws his arms around him and just begins to kiss his son over and over again. He kisses his son. And so Jesus says, you want to know what, you, what is God like? God is a waiting, seeing, compassion-filled, running, embracing, kissing kind of God. And his love is a waiting, seeing, compassion-filled, running, embracing, kissing kind of love. You say, well, who's God describing? Or who's Jesus describing? Yahweh, the holy God who sits at the mercy seat between the winged angels above the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies, Yahweh, a holy God. Jesus says is a waiting, seeing, compassion-filled, running, embracing, kissing kind of God. And he doesn't just go out to the younger son, he goes out to the older one. We see the father go out to the younger rebellious son, but we see the father go out to the bitter older son. And I want to pull into this conversation any of you in the room who have even felt a drop of bitterness, of anger, of frustration with God. And the older son is your story. Because the older son is lost because he, he never physically ran away, but he mentally ran away from his father and the love of his father. He was at home all right. And he was doing everything right. And there's many of you in the room who do everything right. And you have followed the rules your whole life. And you're feeling so disappointed by God. This is you. See, the older, older brother, he never left home. He did the right thing. And yet he's grown to be bitter. And there is a wide chasm. There's a distance between between the father and his older son, but it's invisible. It's hard to see it because it's not physical. It's just this emotional distance. And so the older, sinful, distant, angry, bitter son hears. He hears music in the distance. And then a servant tells him that his younger son is home. And the younger son is not home receiving a punishment. The younger son is not home 
as a servant. No, the younger son is home as a son because the father called him son. The son of mine is home. He didn't come back as a servant. He's back as a son. And a ring was placed on his finger. He's got the inheritance again. And now a party is thrown and the fattened calf, this is an animal that was reserved for the great banquet. A great banquet is thrown. The fattened calf is killed. They're having a party. There's music. There's celebration. The father is wasting, quote unquote, a whole lot of money on the party for his younger brother. And is this the younger brother that broke all the rules? Is this the younger brother that has done nothing right? And he gets this kind of party? This is the party he gets? And the older brother is just seething with anger. And verse 28 says, the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. This has been a very big part of my life and I'll say more about it next week. But notice that the father, first of all, notices that his older son isn't at the party. He sees he's not there. And what does the father do? The father's not content to go, oh, well, oh, well. No, the father goes out to find his older son. The father goes out and pleads with his older son with great love, pleading. The older son is shaming the father by not coming to the banquet. And yet the father doesn't mind about, doesn't care about that. He, he deeply wants all the older sons to come to the banquet. Don't you know I love you too? And pleads with him. And this is the disposition of the heart. The heart of God towards all of us in the room who would call ourselves distant and angry and bitter sons and daughters. You see, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So what is God like? Well, God is like a shepherd who will search high and low until he finds us. And God is like a woman who loses a coin and sweeps every dusty corner until we are found. And God is like the father who runs with compassion towards his younger son. And God is like a father who goes out to find his bitter older son. This is what the love of the father is like. This is God's disposition towards you. Do you believe that? I think that the movie that depicts this the best is Finding Nemo. <laughs> How many fans of Finding Nemo in the room? Kids, can I see some, fan, some, some fans? Any fans? Yeah. First service, there was like no fans. So you're my Finding Nemo crowd. That's good. Some of you know the story, Marlon is the dad, right? And Nemo is lost. And what does Marlon do? The whole movie is a rescue mission of a father finding his lost son. And Nemo gets, you know, sent to the other side of the world and Marlon travels even as far as where? Sydney, Australia, that's right. <laughs> Sydney, Australia, as far as Sydney, Australia. <laughs> I didn't hear that. Okay, anyway. <laughs> he knows the address. Okay, wow, amazing. Uh, so Marlon loves Nemo. 
And Marlon is razor focused on finding Nemo. And when he finds Nemo, his son, kids, I just want to remind you of this powerful line. It's at the beginning of the movie and it's at the end of the movie. Because at the beginning, Marlon says this to Nemo when Nemo was just a baby, right? But he says this at the end when he finds his son. And he comes to Nemo and he says, it's okay. Daddy's here. Daddy's got you. It's okay. Daddy's here. Daddy's got you. And the Apostle Paul says that when the Holy Spirit fills the believer, that they say, Abba. Abba. What is Abba? Abba is an Aramaic term for daddy, papa, dad. What is, Paul, what is the Apostle Paul saying? He's saying when the Holy Spirit fills you, when God's love is poured into your life, what you suddenly realize is that you are a beloved child of the Father. So that all of a sudden, you begin to relate with God in this great intimacy, in this nearness. Abba, Daddy, Papa. Daddy's here, Daddy, Daddy's got you. Abba is here, Abba has got you. And he's desperate to bring you home. And he's relentless in his search. And he will not stop until he gets what he wants, and he wants you. This, of course, is the message of Christmas. Every December, we remember Jesus is Emmanuel, which means God with us, with us. That God did not remain far away, but came to us, came near in Jesus, came searching for us through Jesus. Jesus then is the image of the invisible God. As the book of Hebrews says, Jesus is the exact representation of God. And Jesus himself said, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So if you and I want to know what the Father is like, we look at Jesus. We look at Jesus. And Jesus loved sinners. And Jesus welcomed the marginalized. And Jesus went out looking for all the lost sheep and coins and sons and daughters. And so in Jesus, we see that God is not distant. In Jesus, we see that God is not giving up on you. In Jesus, we see that God is not disappointed with you and leaving you high and dry. And in Jesus, we see that God is not annoyed by you and that God is not embarrassed by you and that God is not, he has not turned a cold shoulder towards you. And God is not hiding from you. In Jesus, we see that God wants you, that God loves you, that God is actively working to draw you to himself. How do you know that? The cross, the cross. Because the Bible says, where was God at the cross? God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. Where was God? In Jesus reconciling the world to himself. This is a father who went into the far country to look for you and sacrificed everything to find you and to pull you back into his arms with great intimacy again. Do you believe that? I have found in different moments of my life that incredibly hard to believe. In 1997, the singer-songwriter Rich Mullins died in a car accident. 
The 42-year-old had spent most of his life loving Jesus and writing songs about, you know, really wrestling with the love of Jesus. And the following lyrics are from his song, The Love of God. He writes, there's a wideness in God's mercy I cannot find in my own. And he keeps his fire burning to melt this heart of stone, keeps me aching with a yearning, keeps me glad to have been caught in the reckless, raging fury that they call the love of God. I want to talk about those words because they're not immediately words we would associate with the love of God, but I hope you find them helpful. Reckless, raging fury. <laughs> reckless, reckless, marked by lack of proper caution. The love of God is reckless. It means when he pours it on us, he dumps it on us. And it's marked by a extreme lack of caution. <laughs> what does that mean? Well, it's like a grandparent who scoops ice cream for their grandchild on a hot day. They exhibit an extreme lack of caution. <laughs> or so the parents feel. The grandparent loves their grandchild and they want to heap blessing upon them and so they add another scoop. And then we go, have you lost your mind? And they add another scoop. And God keeps adding scoops, right? And God keeps heaping his love upon us. And in my mind, it seems a little reckless. But he's delighted to pour. See, the scripture says that it's the Holy Spirit who pours the love of God. And, and in my mind, I picture a dump of the love of God. This beautiful lack of caution as he lavishes his love on his children. One more scoop. Raging, raging, the reckless, raging love of God. Well, it's very great, it's strong, it's impressive. The love of God is a raging love. It's strong, if I could say it this way, like an Oklahoma tornado, strong enough to demolish all kinds of human structures. Imagine the walls that we build up between us and God. We build them up to escape from God or to escape from others. But these walls of addiction, these walls of pain, these walls of betrayal, these walls of bitterness, these walls of loneliness, these walls of self-hatred, these walls of self-condemnation, the love of God rages against such walls. The love of God rages against anything that would stand between us and him. So it is a reckless, raging love that is willing to tear down any wall, any conception that you and I have that is false, that is sinful, that's wrong. God is willing to take it, to remove it, and to draw us to himself. And his love has a fury to it. It's wild and a dangerous force. The fury of God, wild and dangerous. What does that mean? Well, God's love is like the wild wind. You can't control it. At least I found you can't. You cannot predict it. You can't box it up. You cannot corral it. You can't begin to try to measure it. It's wildless, it's boundless, it's unpredictable. The love of God hits you between the eyes when you least expect it, when you're not even sure you really want it, and when you weren't looking for it, there is a fury in the love of God. So I'm caught in the reckless raging fury that is the love of God. And my prayer for us as a church is Ephesians 3. For every kid in the room, kids, this is a prayer for you. For every adult in the room, for every person in the room that is feeling distant from God, every senior in the room who feels like you followed God for decades, but you're not sure again if he deeply loves you. For all of you, this is my prayer. My 
And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Notice that there is a love that surpasses knowledge, that you cannot intellectually even get there. It goes beyond knowledge and hits you straight in the heart. That you would be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. As we begin to think about the cross and as we begin to take communion, I want to tell you a quick story. And I've told this story, I think, a couple times. But there was a moment when my son Micah, uh, we, he was just like two years old, and, uh, and we were near a pool, and he had fallen into the pool, but Tony and I didn't know it, and he couldn't swim, and so he sank to the bottom of the pool. And I remember looking down and seeing my son there, and it was a helpless feeling. And right when I saw him, simultaneously, my nephew named Jarrett was diving down deep into the bottom of the pool. And he picks up his cousin, right? So Jarrett and Micah are cousins. And so Jarrett, um, he picks up my son and brings him to the surface. And oh, air hits his lungs and he can breathe, right? And that moment has burned into my mind as a picture of the love of God, a God who dives down into a dark and sinful world and sees you breathless, at the bottom, stuck, without air. And he, he sacrifices his own life and dives down and as he picks you up and he brings you to the surface, you can breathe again. And he fills you with his Holy Spirit and he gives you life. And that is the good news. That that is the kind of God who goes looking for his sheep, who goes looking for the coin. He goes looking for his two boys he goes looking for us trapped at the bottom of a pool. He's searching. And so we come to the cross. And as we look to the cross, we think of Tozer again. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So look at the cross, North Langley. Look at the cross. And remember the definition of prodigal? Someone who spends all they have in an extravagant way? Well, that's God, who spent all he had in an extravagant way out of love for us. So before we take the bread and the cup, would you pause and simply receive the love of God? Would you just pray? Take a moment to pray. For all of you who are Christians, just spend a moment with the Lord. We'll have some silence here. And I don't know how you want to pray this, but would you simply receive the love of God as you look at the cross?